The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Hi guys, my name is Darren Smith, and uh, we're going to try this again here, and I uh, hope you're doing well. Uh, we are here to go through Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 19, and uh, uh, we are from Tower View Baptist Church. That's towerviewkc.com. We'll put that up on the web here, and uh, you can see that, towerviewkc.com, and uh, we will have that going as well. And so as we go live here, I just want to uh, let you know that we are going through a verse-by-verse study of the book of Mark, and have been for some time. And uh, just want to make sure you can hear me okay. So if you can hear this, just let me know. That'd be greatly appreciated. Uh, we're going to share this on a couple of our pages personally and quickly as we do. So uh, uh, just uh, one second as we do that. Uh, we are in Kansas City North at uh, uh, 7301 Northeast 50th Street, just north of Worlds of Fun off I-435 in Kansas City. And so we canceled today, as did many churches, because of weather. Uh, it's been kind of a weird morning. It started out with heavy, heavy snow, and then it started out with some uh, different uh, uh, sun coming out. It's been a weird day. We're just ready for uh, uh, the uh, time to come for uh, spring. So we're looking forward to that. Hopefully you are too. Uh, and so we're going to get started here today. Again, my name is Darren Smith. I'm going to preach this like I would, less discussion, more preaching style. Uh, so if you can bear with that, that would be great. Uh, and uh, that'll be greatly appreciated. Again, please feel free to share this. If this is a blessing, we're going over Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 19. Let me pray for us, and uh, we'll get some more people in here as we do. And I'm going to be sharing my screen uh, a little bit so you can see the PowerPoint. So uh, Pastor Nelson is going to be on. If you have questions or comments, uh, he'll be on uh, taking those uh, so you can see the PowerPoint. And me in the bottom right, we'll do this as we do. So let me pray for us, and we'll read our scripture, and we'll get started this morning. Morning. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity uh, just to have technology to do this. Father, I pray for uh, all the churches preaching your word across the nation today, Lord. Let it be for your glory. I pray that people watching this, especially, Lord, would, would come to know you, Lord. And I just pray, Father, that in all ways you are lifted high. Thank you, Jesus, for, for taking care of us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, again, uh, Pastor Nelson is going to be doing the uh, uh, main comment answering. So I'm going to try and get my screen focused in here. So let me bring up PowerPoint and I won't see you, but you will see me. So we will we will start off with that. Uh, so, you know, there are a, a good amount of things that come in during this time of year. And one of those is that uh, pastors often rush out to get to church itself. And so one way that pastors do that is they often shave quickly. And so the, the story's told of a pastor who got up in the pulpit and apologized for the Band-Aid on his face. And he said, I was thinking about my sermon while I was shaving and I cut myself. And afterwards, one of the deacons found a note in the collection plate and it said, next time, think about your face and cut the sermon. And that's that is often how it goes in churches. We we often have an expectation of things, but but they're often different than how they are. Well, I'm sure the people of Jesus' day, the religious leaders, perhaps most of all, probably had similar sentiments about Jesus. They they had one view of who Jesus was, but they they no longer wanted to follow what he wanted to say. 
And so they would say to him, in essence, why don't you just go away? Do your thing. Leave us alone. We're, we're all okay here, really. Or, or, or we might be in trouble, but we really don't need your help, Jesus. But, but there's nothing more that draws, you might say, the, the wrath of God or, or, or the cursing of God severely than what the religious people of Jesus' day were doing. And what they were doing is they were corrupting the worship of Jesus, uh, the holy God, and, and by extension, Jesus, who came to earth as God himself. And I think it's safe to say that the hottest place, if you will, in hell will be for those who are false teachers, who deceive others to, to the damnation of their souls. I think that's a very easy thing that we can say. But another thing we know simply is that a close second is that divine punishment is reserved for others who lead others astray in the worship of God. Exodus 20 verse 7 puts it this way. It says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord, your God, for the Lord will not withhold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. That is to say, God warns that he will strictly punish the one who fails to hallow his name and treats it common in any unclean way. And how much more, like these Pharisees uh, that we're going to read about here in Mark 11, 15 through 19, he will punish the one who does the same in worship. God is serious about upholding his glory, and God is serious about the proper worship of his name. And whenever God's name is marginalized or put to the side in worship, there is a righteous anger that comes to follow, whether it's now in the world, as, as, as the Pharisees and the religious leaders saw in G, before the crucifixion in Jesus' day or the final judgment. Because John 4.24 says, Jesus must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. And, and that's the context that we're getting to. Jesus has been walking through Mark 11 as we've been studying this, and, and, and he's been walking through the great triumphal entry. Last week, he cursed the fig tree, which was symbolic of how the nation had gone. And now they, they no longer remove their, their sandals, so to speak, did the people of Israel, and they considered themselves on holy ground, but they really didn't take seriously what that was. And as Jesus comes in here in Mark 11, as we'll read in just a second, he sees the degradation of the glory of God. He sees the dilution of the holiness of God, and he sees the defaming of the name of God. And the travesty in the temple was that there was now crassness. There's now commercialization. There's now insincerity. There's politics. There's dishonesty, and there's duplicity. And our Lord Jesus was angry about this as he comes in. It's very similar to the church at Laodicea in Revelation 3 where he said, you make me want to vomit you out of my mouth, is, is, is how Jesus would describe this type of behavior to the early Christian churches. And how much more does he feel this righteous anger towards the minimizing of worship of the most holy name of God? To defend and protect his father's name, Jesus was zealous to do that till the very end. And so, friends, he responds with a forceness of conviction of character as he cleansed the temple that was desecrated by the, 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 the workers of that day. So do we take the things that Jesus mentions here seriously? Like he called these people to take seriously, even as we come to worship every week in a church where we find ourselves. And that is the big idea today. The big idea is just the, the summary of the sermon itself. It's a little longer today, but the same Jesus who turned over tables and cleansed the temple isn't the one who allows for trivialization of worship. And so we need to come together with worship and reverence and awe before him. Because this same kind of zeal is the same kind that each of us must protect 
to honor God's name. We must be guardians of the glory of God and uphold his holiness. That's what we're called to do. We must, def- we must be affected when we see the worship of God defiled and degraded. So may we be filled with a holy zeal, not a pharisaical zeal, not just one of passion or, or just go get this, but may we be one that, that seeks the purity of Jesus Christ to be worshiped correctly. No one can love God and at the same time be indifferent to the defiling of the name of our Lord. So we should feel deep within us a, 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 a world. A, a, we should see the worship that's been contaminated by the world. That as we have a low view of God in our public worship services, a low view of God denies the very right that God has as he rules over the heavens. And a low view of God is the same view that these Pharisees had and these religious leaders had as Jesus walks into this temple in Mark 11, that it brings it down to a more casual, comfortable level. And that's not what it's about. We too should be affected like Christ. In this text, when we see the holiness of God marginalized in the house of the Lord. So two things today, two things that that will that Jesus or, or God will condemn on judgment day. We see this in the passage in, in, in the history of Jesus's ministry, but also I think in our day and on judgment day, our Lord will judge two things. And it's very easy, very quick here. But our Lord will judge our evil and our evangelism. Again, I want to remind you that Jesus in this passage is walking in to the Passion Week. This is his final week. The final five chapters of Mark are dedicated to the one week of Jesus. The place is Jerusalem. The day is Monday. The day before, as I mentioned a minute ago, Jesus rode in on a cult to the Hosannas of the people. And now he's inspected the temple. He's spending spending time away in Bethany, two miles away. But now as Jesus comes in, there are two events on this day. Last week, we saw the cursing of the fig tree. Today, he's cleansing the temple. First a cursing, then a cleansing. But now, Jesus is cleansing the temple. This is the second time he's done this. We saw in John 2 that that John uh, mentions in the very first of Jesus' ministry, he takes a whip and he cleans out the temple. They're kind of like bookends. John 2, Mark 11, and Matthew 21, and the other passages that mention this. So let me read this with us. Mark chapter 11. Uh, verses 15 through 20, uh, 15 through 19, Mark 11, 15 through 19. Here's what it says. And they came to Jerusalem and he extended, uh, excuse me, entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables and money changers and seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry through the temple. Verse 17, and he was teaching them, saying to them, is it not written, My house shall be called the house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it, and they were seeking ways to destroy him. For they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when when evening came, they went out from the city. Let's pray today as we start Mark 11. If you're joining us, my name is Darren. We're from Tower View Baptist Church, doing this a little more uh, in, in, in style of preaching, less conversational. Pastor Nelson is on uh, as we go through this time. Will you pray with me as we start this morning? Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, what seriousness we have, even on a snowy day in Missouri, to understand what your word says. Father, bless our time together, whether one watches this from our church or another church, or Father, if, if it's watched later on, may you be glorified. Father, thank you that you do take seriously your holy name, and so should we. Father, forgive us of our casualness, and forgive us of our comfortableness. 
uh, around the most holy name that has ever been mentioned, and that is the, the name of you, Lord, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the, the name above all names, the name that at every knee shall bow someday, and every tongue on earth, below the earth, or above the earth confess, especially that Jesus Christ is Lord. Father, may we do his name honor this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, one thing we know uh, from this passage is that, first off, Christ will judge our evil. Christ will judge our evil. It, it kind of reminds me of the story of Martin Luther as he was uh, in the throes of the Reformation. And in an open letter to Pope Leo X, uh, he wrote this. He said, the Roman church, once holiest of all, has become the most licentious den of thieves, the most shameless of all brothels, the kingdom of sin, death, and hell. It's so bad that even the Antichrist himself, if he should come, would think nothing to add to its, its, its wickedness. And in a supernatural way, this might have been a glimpse of how Jesus felt. Luther wrote that in response to partly of looking at the cleansing of Jesus' temple. But you notice in verse 15, it says that they came into the temple. They came before evening. And again, this was the second entry to the city in the second day. And he entered the temple. This was very intentional. As soon as he entered the city, he seemed to go right away there. And the temple, with all its courts and all its buildings, it takes place in a larger outer court. This episode we just read in Mark 11 of the Gentiles. There's thousands of worshipers here uh, in, in the time. And just some history of the temple, as you may recall, David desired to build it, but God told him no. Uh, it was in your heart, but it was built for another because you're a man of blood. And so Solomon built the temple. It was so amazing that even the queen of Sheba, it says, fainted when she saw it. Now the Israelites wandered away that we know from, from what God told them. So in, in 586, the temple was destroyed, first by the Babylonians when they robbed it, then by the Chaldeans in 586 when they destroyed it. And about 70 years later, the people migrate back to Israel just as God said they would, and they complete over time the second temple. This is the one that Haggai the prophet told them to build and to do. And it wasn't as large as Solomon's temple, but it was the house of the Lord. But it was desecrated again in 163 AD, but it was rededicated, as we know, in between biblical times by Judas Maccabeus. But now Herod, King Herod, the one who was around in Jesus' birth time, is, is rebuilding it. And, and it was no longer considered to be anything but one of the greatest things ever. The entire temple area in the day of Jesus was covered by a massive outer wall that defined the temple area. On the inside was a series of columns that had a roof and it formed a porch that went inside on the temple wall. And within the court, there was a thing called the court of the Gentiles, where, where those who wanted to, to worship God but were not Jewish uh, by nature, by birth, by heritage could go. There's also uh, other areas we'll get to, but there's also a women's court where the women would go, have a place for the women. And on the west side of the temple was a holy place where the Holy of Holies was. And that's where the Levites were, the Torah was, the sacrifices were made. But in this particular episode of Mark 11, he's referring to the court of the Gentiles. And he had no doubt that he was shocked at what he saw. I mean, look at verse 15. As he entered the temple, he saw that people were selling things. They were exchanging money. They were, they were jacking up prices uh, that was basically highway robberies, what it came down to be. People were coming from far and wide for the Passover that they had to exchange money to buy this stuff. 
but it was all under the purview, the, the, the oversight of the religious leaders. This is why Jesus was so upset. And this is why, as we said, and I'll, I'll slip, I'm not used to doing my own PowerPoint, but Christ will judge our evil, guys. They, I mean, these people were skimming off the top, these religious leaders were. They had their hand in the cookie jar. Business was booming as never before. It was like being on the exchange of the Wall Street where, where people were buying and people were selling. I mean, think of the noise. Think of the, the smells of the animals, the stench, the filth, the greed, the extortion, the crassness of the deals. I mean, think about the swindling of the worshipers. I mean, think about the fleecing of the flock, the poor who are being pillaged for, for basic things. Think about the hypocrisy and worship that was taking place as our Lord entered into the temple itself. I mean, let's summarize this again. Let me just be very clear. People were coming in to celebrate the Passover in the spring of this year. The population would grow to 10 times as much, hundreds of thousands with no hotels, hundreds of thousands with no anything. And so family and friends would, would, would find these uh, accommodations and they, they had nowhere to stay sometimes. The Jewish historian Josephus estimated that there were 255,000 lambs in AD 66, some 30 years after this, 33 years, were brought, bought, and sold, and sacrificed in the temple courts. And they were expected, these pilgrims were expected to bring an official sacrifice. So most Jews were really forced to buy an approved animal certified by the temple priests and backed and by the corrupt Sanhedrin at that time. The markup was shameful. I mean, some estimated it was marked up 16 times the normal price. Can you see why Jesus would be mad? And not only that, but money changers would exchange foreign currency. And if you've ever been to a foreign currency exchange, it's like going to the airport at a foreign country and exchanging your money at the airport. The, the, the conversion rate is terrible. And that's what I want to remind you of. Everyone wants to be like Jesus. It's a good thing. Even secular people do. But no one wants to turn over tables, rebuke religious leaders, or wash the feet of doubters. Friends, what we are reminded of is that this episode that Jesus was a part of was so shocking that he himself went in there. And you notice what verse 15 says. He went in there and began to drive out those who sold and bought in the temple and overturned the money tables. It's chaos anyway, and then Jesus adds to it in a holy way by doing what he's called to do. And friends, sometimes we are called to do that. But oftentimes we take this with the wrong motive. Sometimes people come into a church and they see something and they just attack it and they don't, they don't try it. They, they consider themselves to be Jesus himself, and we have to do this with patience. But so often we're, we're either so cavalier or we're so we're so uh, vested up like a like a suit that we don't we don't move that we don't. There's no middle ground for us. And the middle ground is this. Lord, what is it that needs to change in our church? What is it needs to change in our society? Lord, give me patience. Give me love. Give me wisdom. And Lord, help me to help the doubters, as Jude says, to 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 have mercy on those who doubt. Jude 22. But religious people divide the world into good guys and bad guys. But what Jesus shows us here is that the gospel divides the world into bad guys and those with Jesus. What a shock this must have been to these people. So you see, you see here very easily the atmosphere that Jesus is walking into. Now look at verse 16. From the temple, Jesus now goes in. 
And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple is what verse 16 says. He would not allow anyone to carry anything into the temple. He's blocking it off is basically what he's doing. Now, Jesus is patient with prostitutes. He was long-suffering with tax collectors. He extended much grace and patience to those who are the riffraff of society. But I think it's very clear here that those who had the word of God and and should have known much better who clothed themselves in duplicity, our Lord responds with holy zeal and righteous anger. And he began to drive them out. We're left to assume that as soon as he walked in, he rolled up his sleeves and he got to action. There was a direct challenge to the authority of the religious leaders of Israel. There was no longer a congregation. There was officially a crowd now. And they were not worshipers. They were buyers and sellers. Now, I mentioned a minute ago that John 2 says that when he cleansed the temple, he made a bull whip. Perhaps he did that here. We don't have that detail. But Jesus, with his own hands, drives them out, not just the sellers, but the buyers also. So in Jesus' eyes, the sellers were too greedy and the buyers were too gullible. William Hendrickson, one of the great commentators of, of past time, said, Sellers, yes, they were guilty of swindling the pilgrims and fleecing them. But what about the poor buyers? These people were too docile, too weak, and accepted the conditions they were in. Far more convenient to bring it along with you and fail to meet the official inspection than to just have the chance to buy what is there. He says the seller's concession had become the buyer's convenience, end quote. Friends, these people had been Jesus is not only getting mad at the religious people, but he's also getting mad at the people who are okay with what is before them. Now, you say, well, maybe they didn't know how terrible things were. And you, you could, that might be true to some degree, but I'm sure some did. And again, they were so sheepish with trying to confront these religious leaders that it took Jesus coming to earth to literally do that work. So he overturned the tables. He physically manhandled the tables where the money was being exchanged. This is where that title, number one, you're looking there, that Christ will judge our evil. And he drove out the seats of those who sold doves. These were the men who, who brought and who, who, the poor, who when they couldn't afford an animal, they were, according to the law, to buy these things. And Jesus would turn the other cheeks, but when he was reviled, he didn't revile it in return, First Peter says, on the cross, when he suffered much in his own person, but when the glory of his father was at stake, and the matter of holiness of the Godhead was at stake. Jesus went into action. Not a time for our Lord to passively endure at the hands of sinners. He went in and took care of business. And when he did this, he would not allow anyone to go through. These were probably people just carrying things, setting up for the Passover, just doing their jobs. But, but, but the, the, the merchants would use the temple for a shortcut. And Jesus said, no, to get from one side to the other, you're not coming through here. They were showing irreverence for the glory of God in the temple by doing that. So no longer, Jesus says, will the temple be used for worldly means. He restricts even the people cutting through the very temple. He's staking out the house of God, a place where the name of God is to be holy. And friends, this is why it is okay to feel restless in a church, as you see there on the screen, that turns worship into a production and preaching into a therapy session. You are normal. It's okay to feel restless in a church that turns worship into a production and preaching into a therapy session. 
Why do we say that? We say that very clearly because theology is rooted in, centered around, and focused on a holy God. And if our theology does not lead to the pursuit of holiness, it's not of God. And this is what Jesus is confronting, the very evil that he told them through the Old Testament prophets not to do are the very things they are now doing. And our worship service, if you're from Tower View, as you know, is unabashedly, unashamedly for people who like going to church. Now, if you're visiting or want to visit our church, you are always welcome. Let me be super clear. You're our guest every time you come. But we desire more than anything not to entertain. We desire to grow you in Jesus Christ. And that, that's not always perfect. We're human. That's the work of the Spirit through the means of grace, through the preaching of the Word, the, the gathering of the saints, things that we usually do on a Sunday morning. But one thing we know, if the aim of our church, any church, is to create some kind of experience for the worshipers, it's not God we're worshiping. And Jesus would no longer allow this house of God to be used for secular purposes. When the holiness of God was at stake, Jesus voluntarily did this. Now, I know, and I even have a note here to chase a rabbit. There are questions about should a church be should a church ever allow a community group to use their place? That's a great question. That's not the purpose of this. I think the biggest angle that Jesus brings in is are we taking seriously as a church, as a family, as individuals, the very things that God tells us to take seriously, especially in relation to worship itself? All right, let's go to verse 17. Not only will Christ judge our evil, but secondly, Christ will judge our evangelism. Look back at verse 17. Jesus is going to tell you why he did, why he just did his stuff. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a prayer, house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it into a den of robbers. Jesus now stands on the authority of what he has done. He's teaching them. This is what he always does. Jesus is teaching. He didn't come primarily to heal. He didn't come primarily to restore Israel. He primarily came to teach about the kingdom of God. Luke 19.47 says he taught daily in the temple. And that verb tense in Luke 19 is a tense that indicates it's not just a short message. He gave a very long-winded message full of exposition. He taught him how the temple was to be holy, and now it was perverted. And so Jesus qualifies this by going back to the Old Testament. Friend, hear me clearly. There are preachers today, and, and I, there are some today who say that we should unhitch ourselves, as the word used, or, 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 take, or take ourselves away from the Old Testament. But Jesus himself, how often does he quote the very words that he, uh, that, that his Father and, and, and the Spirit, the three-in-one God, the Trinity, inspired in the mouths and in the writings of the prophets and those who went before him in the Old Testament? He quotes two texts. He quotes Isaiah 56, 7 and Jeremiah 7, 9. And these testify how well our Lord knew the word of God. Yes, he was God fully, but as a man, how skillfully he used the word of God and that it was the word of God, not strategies or methods. And those have their place, but primarily the word of God coming to bear on the people that he knew would bear fruit. He says, or my house shall be called the house of prayer for all peoples. Not the Pharisee's house, not the scribe's house, not any man's house. It was God's house that was expected to be God's house is God's word that was expected to be expounded, exalted, and worshiped. He says it shall be called, it must be called the house of prayer. 
a place for spiritual activities, not secular activities, a place for seeking God, not a God of the universe, but the God of the universe, for worshiping God and praying to him. Therefore, it was going to be set apart, holy unto the Lord, different than any ground and geography on the outside. The temple was where the people were to gather. And so stepping into the, the temple of that time was literally stepping on holy ground. And for God's people to meet with him and to place his glory high. It was not a place to be for worldly treasure or crass materialism. It was to be a house of prayer. And here's the key phrase that I think uh, number two, Christ will judge our evangelism comes from, that, that it comes from for all nations. Remember that Jesus is in the court of the Gentiles. A Gentile is anyone who's non-Jewish. And it was incumbent on Israel to bring them to the court of the Gentiles. Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. They weren't supposed to be a holy huddle unto themselves. And there's always evangelistic overtones to bring the nations, to bring the Gentiles, bring them joy and salvation that they had by knowing their father. And what was being brought was not lost souls, but worldly means. And this is why, as you'll see on the screen, we are to go to the nations. We are to send others to the nations, or we disobey. Jesus left no middle ground. Jesus himself has torn down the wall between Israel being the only access to God and now allowing, as it is, all of us who, by faith in Jesus alone, call upon his name, can now be saved. So, friend, let me ask you, how are you participating in Christ's great commission to take the gospel to the nations? What is it costing you? What, where is your sacrifice? Have you allowed a subculture of American Christianity to dictate who, what, when, where, and how you serve Jesus Christ? Or have you allowed the word of God to judge those things for you? Some people spend more money on grooming their dogs and their cats than they give to the mission of God in the local church. And we should be ashamed of do not give in. Do not hold back. Do not turn back. Do not be afraid. Believe God. Live a righteous life. But take the gospel to the nations. Christ was judging this, this, this group for their irreverent worship, for their evil in worship. That was point number one. But he is also judging their evangelism. He's telling them, guys, this place is not a place for exchanging money, for selling things. It is a place that people who don't know me can come to know me. I mentioned a minute ago that we need as a church not to make a worship production. We need to be about the reverent name of God. But churches, can I ask you, church members, are we, as people come into our churches who aren't part of the usual gathering on a Sunday, do we allow ourselves to be open and transparent before them and welcome them in? We should. First Corinthians talks about in the spiritual gift chapters in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 that unbelievers are welcome in worship. We, anyone who's an unbeliever is always welcome to worship with us so that they can see how holy we take his name. And so that even sinful as we are, they can see our lives and, and do this. But he tells them, but you have made it a den of robbers. You are misusing the house of the Lord. He's quoting Isaiah 7:11 there. And Jesus is indicating that these religious leaders by calling them robbers by stealing from God himself. The picture here is one of a mountain road that has thieves and caves on the road. And as you make your way up and everything seems good, there are high walls around you. And, and, and then at a moment's notice, un, unannounced, the robbers pounce on you, beat you up, 
and, and take your money and leave you hurt almost for dead. It's very similar to the story of the Good Samaritan, if you recall that. But Jesus is basically calling these Israelite leaders that they are basically, he's calling them terrorists, he's calling them thieves, he's calling them robbers, he's calling them glory stealers, because they are preying on innocent people to do their worship. What a shame it would be that as pastors, you know, this is why we are warned so clearly in 1 Timothy 6 as leaders of the church in 1 Timothy 3 to not be about sordid gain, I think is the old King James. We are commanded as pastors not to go into the ministry because of the benefits that come with the ministry. Look, at Tower View, our church takes care of us very, very well. We are well taken care of, and we thank God for that, for so many faithful people who pray, who give, who serve. And guys, we love you all so much. But what a shame it would be for any pastor, myself included, that if we treated the very calling of being a pastor as a way to financial gain, financial uh, opportunity, to prey upon people who trust you, Friends, that is, that is the evil that Jesus speaks of right here. He was not preaching to the choir. He was boldly, courageously, heroically taking on the establishment that was the Israelite church, the Israelite nation. That old story, the emperor has no clothes, was basically what Jesus was calling the bluff of right now. Malachi 3, 1 through 3 says that we should call a spade a spade. And I want to, I thought I had it up there, but I guess I didn't, but I'll read it to you. As we get near the end here, but God says, behold, I send my messenger and he'll prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Malachi 3, 1. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Malachi 3, 1-3 ESV. And as we move on, I want you to see the explosion. Notice verse 18. Verse 18 very clearly says that, And the chief priests and scribes heard it, and they were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. They heard it for sure. The war makes strange bedfellows. There's no repentance here. There's only unbelief. And unsaved people will want to destroy the things of God, especially those within the church. And he tells them, and Mark tells us here, they feared uh, Jesus for two reasons. First, they were afraid of him. They were afraid of what he could do. They knew his power. They knew what was available. They were afraid of the truth. Most of all, though, men hate the light and won't come to the light because eat, their deeds are evil. Secondly, they were astonished at his teaching. How dare he say this, they say. This never happened to them. All these people hear of our Lord. There's a sense of rightness of what he is saying. They've never heard anything like this, but they don't want anything to do with it. You know people like that in your life as well. This literally blew their minds. But friend, I want to remind us that although we must not seek to be offensive, and you'll see this on the screen. We must discard the idea that there is some way to preach the gospel without a scandal or without an offense. There's an explosion here because they know what he is saying is true. They know that what Jesus is bringing to them is true. But they don't want to let go of their cool little side business skimming off the top of these people. 
and not being a light to the nations. Christ is judging their evangelism and they fear him. They want to destroy him and they're astonished at his teaching because how dare he say that? But at the same time, there is something there. There's an explosion because the professional teachers of scripture who should have rejoiced at what was being done and said by Jesus are the ones who had the greatest disdain for his name. You notice verse 19, and we'll end with this, the exit here in verse 19. And it says, and when evening came, they went out of the city. That was it. He was there a long time. He taught for a long time from what we can tell from the text. But it would be Passover that Jesus was arrested. This is Monday, and it's not until the Friday of Holy Week that all according to God's predestined timing and the timing of God, he would be back. But he wanted to let the pressure out. It was not his time. The city gates closed quickly, and they would walk two miles to Bethany. And the next day, he would debate the Pharisees until it comes. And that is the next section. And Jesus will go on from there to speak about these things. But as we close, I just want to ask you, where are those commitments to God's holiness that you made to contend for his glory? You know, think about your workplace. If, if, if God's name is used as a cuss word or a joke, do you seek intentionally with grace and humility to point that out? When your kids are disdaining the name of the Lord, parent, do you try your best with love and humility to correct that? If there is someone in your church that is not taking seriously what God has told them to do, have you, per Matthew 18 and other passages, taken seriously the call to, to, to walk after them and seek after them and restore them to restoration? Where are the guardians of the glory of God? Would you pray for your church, whether it's Tower of You, if you're watching this otherwise, that, that we guard the glory of God in our worship services, that Christ will be uh, uplifted by what we do as we come together. Look, there, there are different ways that we worship God in different areas, but the ultimate question comes down to is what we are doing trying to draw a crowd or is it trying to glorify God? And those aren't always uh, divergent. Those aren't always uh, strange bedfellows, as I said, but at the same time, where is the heart of the matter there? Those are questions. But may we be those with a flaming passion for the holiness of God, the name of God, and the worship of God. That's what we're about. Let us throw off complacency when his name is thrashed and trashed and his standards are lowered. Let us rejoice when his holiness is honored. And friend, in relation to evangelism, may our message, as Pastor Nelson shared uh, just last hour in our Sunday school hour, may it not just be a simple prayer that you pray to come to Jesus, but may you repent, turn from your sin, and believe that Jesus Christ, who, 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 whose wrath is on your head outside of him, you deserve the worst, but at the cross, praise God in his love, he gave you the best. That's what we're praying for. Guys, will you pray with me as we close out today? And I appreciate your time. Haven't seen any of the comments. Can't see them, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit my escape button here and we'll get back to it. We love you guys so much. Let's pray as we close out today. Father God, thank you for our time today. Thank you for the technology to do this. Lord, what a weird morning it's been. Perhaps less snow, uh, more cold, and the sun finally popped out. Thank you for the chance to do this. We, we long to be together physically as a church, but Lord, thank you for the means to do this. Lord, protect us from the evils that Jesus judged. Protect us from the false evangelism, Father, that was judged. Thank you, Lord, that you do not accept trivialized worship, as we saw in the story of Cain and Abel and uh, you know uh, uh, the sons of, of Aaron who tried to do strange fire before you, and just so many examples throughout Scripture how you take your worship. 
Father, let us be closer to your word every time we gather. Lord, let it not be done in legalism or pharisaicalism or, or, or tradition that is just tradition to be tradition. But Lord, let it be about what your word says. Father, I pray you apply that to our hearts, our families, our lives. Thank you for Jesus who loved us, who cares for us, who takes our burdens even now. We pray these things today in Jesus' name, and we say amen. All right, guys, love you all so much. Thank you, and I'm going to bring this back to just me here, I think, if I can. And uh, there we go. And now you get to see what's on my screen. But, guys, we love you all so much. Thank you for your time. Thank you for, uh, to, for being here. And uh, we look forward to this. If you have any more questions, you can find us at TowerViewKC.com. And uh, we'll post this online later. Uh, it's lunchtime at our house, so we're getting ready to put kids down for a nap and do those things. Hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you for joining us, and uh, we will see you next time.